Praise God. Be ready for the word of God. Ruth chapter number one. Are we enjoying this series? Good, because we might be here for a little while. Uh, I, I discovered in the earlier service that uh, I'm not going to finish in this service. So this will be a part B to this uh, particular message. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We're so grateful, my God, for just the access to be able to be and stand in your presence, my God. We don't take it for granted. We don't take these moments as common, my God, for it is expensive access that you've given us by your precious and holy blood. We thank you so much, my God, for this opportunity, my God, to stand and to hear from your presence. I pray, Father God, that, my God, that you would use your word, Father God, to align us to what you are doing in our lives and where you are taking us to, my God. I pray that as I, my God, open up my mouth, I pray that you fill it with your truth, my God. I pray, my God, that that same word, my God, the same spirit of that word, my God, that you spoke in Genesis and you spoke in the darkness, my God, became light, my God. And you spoke, my God, and the waters were parted. And you spoke to the barren ground and life appeared, my God. My God, I pray, my God, may the same spirit my God, of your word, be present here in this place today, my God. I pray that though it be my mouth that is opening and moving, I pray may it be your spirit that is speaking, my God, into every life, into every issue, into every darkness, my God. You know what your people need to hear. You know where your word needs to go, my God. My God, we just yield ourselves to do your work through your word today, my God. And we just thank you now, my God. We commit this time to you, Father God. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, and we'll start from verse number 19 through 22. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened, everybody says it happened. Yeah, it's happening. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. And we talked about last week how Naomi means pleasant and Mara means bitter. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Um, now remember what initiated this uh, Ruth and Naomi's return to Bethlehem. Uh, is that from Moab, they heard that God was visiting his people in Bethlehem with grain. And so, so they, they set out on this journey because of the testimony they heard with their ears that God is visiting Bethlehem. And so when they enter Bethlehem, they are actually beginning to see with their eyes the testimony they heard with their ears of Moab. Tell your neighbor that, that, and tell them you're not just going to hear about God's goodness. Go ahead. You're not just going to hear about God's goodness with your ears. You're going to see God's goodness with your eyes. We thank God for the testimony of God's goodness. But God doesn't stop with the testimony. He doesn't just stop with saying something and not fulfilling what he said he was going to do. That, 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 that David said, I will yet see the, uh, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm not just going to hear about it. I'm going to see it with my eyes. And, and, so, and so they're seeing it. They're seeing 
the, this testimony, they, they, they set out, they move because of what they heard. And many times you will always hear what God is going to do before you see what, you're, what God is going to do. You'll hear the rain before you see the rain. And so they heard it and now they, they walked out on what they heard and now they are seeing what they walked out on. And so they're seeing it with their eyes. In fact, they, they, they come to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, it's interesting how God orchestrated it because when they came to Bethlehem, they didn't arrive during the season of plowing. They didn't arrive at the season of sowing. They, the Bible says they arrived right at the beginning of the barley harvest. So they are really seeing the tangible manifestation of what they heard. There's this life that's all around them. The, the harvest season is generally a very festive season, a very celebratory season, a season full of rejoicing and thanksgiving. And this season, uh, this particular harvest season, even more so because they had just come out of a, a, a certain season of drought and famine, and now God had sent the rain. So you can imagine the level of festivity and rejoicing and thankfulness that is happening in this moment. And this is where this atmosphere that Naomi and Ruth come into, this, this rejoicing and thanksgiving and, and excitement, and, and to add upon the, all the excitement that's there because of the harvest, Everybody's excited to see Naomi. Everybody's like, they said, "Is this Naomi?" And they're so excited to see her. And 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 and, but Naomi's response to all this excitement and rejoicing and and energy that's around them that's going on. It says she says, but Naomi's response is, "Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me." The Lord has testified against me. That'll take the energy out of the celebration. Right? I'm just imagining she stood up and don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. That just sucked. I can just imagine how it just sucked the energy out of the excitement. And I don't know. I also sort of trying to understand what was going on in Ruth's mind and her understanding about who God is because you understand that Ruth is a Moabitess and, and all her testimony of what she knows about God is coming from Naomi. And all she hears from Naomi is, God has dealt bitterly with me. He is against me. He's afflicted me. He's gone out against me. I, I don't know. It's an interesting evangelism strategy that Naomi is employing here. <laughs> I, I can only imagine if I said, you know, that the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. He has afflicted me. He has hurt me. He has left me. Now, who wants to accept the Lord? Come down to the altar. Sometimes we have to be careful. Sometimes when we go through things, the testimony we are sending off to other people about who God is. Because sometimes we go through temporary situations, but we leave permanent testimonies in people's heart about who God is. And, and so... Um, Naomi is surrounded by this atmosphere of joy, surrounded by this testimony of God's goodness and, and, and faithfulness, but she can't access or draw from any of it. She can't draw from the atmosphere of hope that is around her because of the bitterness within her. It's around her, but she can't draw from it because of the bitterness within her. And the week before last, if you remember, we talked a little bit about how, how that trust gives us access. Remember that? Trust is access. That um, when I, if I gave you the keys to my house, what I'm really giving you is not keys. I'm giving you trust. Because if I didn't trust you, I wouldn't give you the keys. So if I'm giving you the keys, I'm giving you trust, and trust gives you access. And we talked about how when we begin to give, when we act upon our trust, when we, 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 do, we perform these acts of trust towards God, it is, it is, we're giving God access into our life. And, but while trust gives God access into your life, your attitude gives you access into what God is doing in your life. Did you catch that? Trust gives God access into your life, 
but your attitude gives you access into what God is doing in your life. That, that's why the psalm says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Okay? Thanksgiving is more than what you say. Thanksgiving is an attitude. If you don't know anything, uh, if you don't know this about God yet, he doesn't really take lip service. He, it is the intent, it is the spirit, it is the attitude behind the words that pulls God. God is not impressed with a lot of words. He is impressed with the attitude of the heart. He said that you, you, you are worshiping with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So, so thanksgiving is an attitude. It's not necessarily just something that you say with your mouth. And it says, enter his gates enter his gates. Gates is a place of access. It is a place where you come in and come out. It's a word, it is a place where things come into the city and leave the city. It is a place where things come into your life and leave your life. And, and the Bible says enter his gates. Enter his gates with an attitude. What gives you access is an attitude. Tell your neighbor and tell him it's about an attitude. So Thanksgiving opens the gates. Bitterness will close the gates. Um, the Bible talks about Hannah, uh, and this is the, the mother of the prophet Samuel, and, and who was at the time buried. The Bible says that her womb was closed, and it talks about how she was in the temple, and she was praying, and Eli the high priest watched her and he, was, he saw her mumbling and he actually thought that she was drunk and he began to rebuke her. But Han Hannah says, don't, no, don't rebuke me. I'm not drunk. I'm just bitter. And I don't know if there is one, one which one was better or if, there was, if one was better than the other. He, she, he said, I'm not drunk. I'm bitter. And I've been praying out of the bitterness of my spirit. Everybody say attitude. And I can't help but sort of connect and draw a connection between Hannah's womb and her attitude. Because the Bible says, Eli said to her, he says, okay, go in peace. May the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And the Bible says that she went and she was no longer downcast. And see, I don't believe that God is in a habit of telling us things that we don't need to know. That if it were not significant to the testimony, it would not be there. That there is a connection that God wants us to see. A connection between her attitude and her womb. That, that it is her attitude that opened it was her attitude that opened, and as the, her attitude shifted, as the gate of her attitude opened, also the gate of her womb opened up. Tell your neighbor and say, attitude is important. Yeah, attitude is important, people of God. It is important. that Your attitude is the gate. That's why I think David knew this, because the Bible says how... Uh, they came, he, it talks about it in 1 Samuel how they came to Ziklag and, and this is, was, was the stronghold David had established in Ziklag and they, they had returned, him and his men had returned and Ziklag was burned to the ground and all of their possessions were taken and their sons, their daughters and their wives were all taken and the Bible says these mighty men, these strong men of war began to weep and to have, they had no more strength to weep that's a lot of weeping. And they, they wept. And at some point, David said, I had enough weeping. Isn't that good? Is there anybody had enough? Da David said, okay, I, I, I cried about it long enough. It's time for me to get back up. I need to hear what God has to say about this. Because I know this is not the end. I know this is not the conclusion. I need to hear what God has to say about this. T tell your neighbor, he said, you need to hear what God has to say about it. And so he asked for the ephod. But before he asked for the ephod, the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He, he, said, he said, I know I'm not going to be able to receive 
any instructions with this spirit and with this attitude. That, that if I'm going to receive something, if, if I'm going to be able to hear what God is saying, I'm going to have to open the gates and encourage myself and come with an attitude. And he says he encouraged himself. The choir did not encourage him. The preacher did not encourage him. The Bible says he encouraged him himself. You are the greatest preacher you will ever hear. I want to say that you are the most important preacher you will ever hear. Because not even what God says to you can overrule what you say to yourself. It is not until your heart comes into agreement with what God is saying that what he says becomes effective in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I'll prove it to you. This is how you became a Christian. Jesus finished it. He finished the work. He died upon the cross. He did all of it. But the Bible says when you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, when your mouth comes in alignment with what God is doing, that's when what God does has an effect upon your life. You are the greatest preacher you will ever hear. And the Bible says he encouraged himself. When the situation could not encourage him, and the people could not encourage him, and the preacher could not encourage him. The Bible says he encouraged, not even God encouraged him, he encouraged him. And, and David, if you read the Psalms, you'll find that David was expert at this. He was a master at this. He had a lot of practice. In fact, the Bible says, you see sometimes the Bible says that you, David is talking to himself. He says, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you so discouraged? Then he says, no matter what you're feeling, so I will yet praise the Lord. I will rejoice him for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And I, I trust his, and he would just begin to speak and he would begin to encourage himself and he would begin to preach himself. He said, I'm not going to just listen to my soul and settle with my, what my soul feels. No, I'm going to encourage myself. I'm going to talk myself into being joyful. I'm going to talk myself into rejoicing. I'm going to talk myself into hope. I don't care how dis discouraged I feel. I'm going to talk myself into hope, talk myself into faith. Tell your neighbor, he says, encourage yourself. Yeah, encourage yourself. I have no one to encourage me. Encourage yourself. You can't wait for someone to encourage you. How long are you going to sit there and cry? He said, I'm going to, he said, I'm, he, 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 all the, the, the Bible says the people actually left. They wanted to stone him. But the Bible says, God, uh, David said, if I can't rely upon you, that's okay. I will encourage myself. I know how to, to encourage myself. I'm in the cave by myself, but I will encourage myself. I'll look myself in the mirror and preach to myself. Tell your neighbor, say, encourage yourself. Why are you so downcast on my soul? You don't get the feel. I, 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 I'm not going to allow my soul to preach to me. I'm going to preach to my soul. He encouraged himself. It tells me, it tells me that, um, trying to find myself, I went way ahead of my notes. But uh, yeah, there we are. And so he said he encouraged himself. Then he said, now give me the ephod. Because he realized, I'm not going to be able to receive any instruction. I'm not going to be able to receive any vision from God until my gates are open. It's not that God is not speaking. It's not that God is not, is not moving in my life. It's my, it, it, it is not a question of that. It's my question. The question is my ability or my position to receive what God is saying. And so I have to position my heart to receive. I have to open up the gates to receive what he is saying. That's why the Bible time and time again tells us not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God, by the way, God does not speak through fear. The Bible says God has not given us. He said if, if, if it's fear, it didn't come from me. It's not me. I, you're hearing another voice and it's not mine. He said do not be afraid. That, every time the, the angel would appear to people, the first words almost out of their mouth, do not be afraid. Because you're not going to be able to receive. Your gates are going to be closed. You're not going to be able to receive what I'm going to say in a spirit of fear. So do not be afraid. That's why he, said, he says again, be anxious for nothing, 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 nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Not to be anxious for 
God says, I don't want you to be anxious for absolutely nothing. Jesus said, do not worry about your life. Do not worry. Tell your, just tell your own soul, do not worry. Do not worry. How can you tell me that? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my situation. If you are in my situation, you'll be worrying. I'm not saying that we don't have the propensity to worry or you don't have a reason to worry. But what, Je but what Jesus says is that the issue is not whether you have a reason to worry. The issue is that worry is not productive. He, he, he said, Jesus said, who by worrying can add a centimeter to his height? He said, he said you can't add anything to your life by worrying. In fact, in fact, your worry is an obstacle to growth. Wor when you are in a spirit of worry, you cannot add anything. You cannot grow. You cannot expand. You cannot multiply. You cannot harvest. You can add absolutely nothing to your life. In fact, worry does not add. It subtracts. It, waste, it, it is the greater waste, it, it is the greatest waste of time to worry. You will, you, you will worry and that time will be the most unproductive time than you ever experienced because you will worry and the situation would not have changed. I'm not saying that you don't have something to worry about. I'm saying that it's the wrong response. Tell your neighbor again, say, do not worry. Do not worry. But in almost equal measure... Over and over again, God instructs and commands us to rejoice. Rejoice. Not just rejoice, but to rejoice always. Always. Tell, you, tell, 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 tell the person to you, always. Not when you feel like it, not when things are going your way, not when you got the job, not when you got the position, not when it's your birthday, not when you rejoice always. Always, always. Lost everything, but David is still rejoicing always. It tells me that rejoicing is not always a feeling. It's great when you feel it, but rejoicing is not always a feeling, but rather it's a conscious decision. And if God is commanding me to rejoice, it means I have control over my attitude. In fact, your attitude is one of the few things that you have control over. You, don't, you can't control everything that happens to you. But you can control your attitude towards it. Is that good? D David could not control what the enemy did. But what he could control was his attitude towards it. If, if you had no control over your attitude, then he, God cannot command you to rejoice. If he commands me to rejoice, it means I have control over it. It means that I choose my attitude. You choose your attitude. God, God said, I don't, want, I don't want you just to feel and to respond to however you want to feel. I want you to choose your attitude. I want you to purposely and consciously decide to rejoice. David did not feel like rejoicing. It wasn't a feeling. It was a decision. I will rejoice. I will be joyful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there's something that God is doing. There is a blessing that God is bringing, and it is waiting for you at your gate. Isaiah 60, 11 says this. Your gates will always stand open. Tell, tell your neighbor, say, always. Your gates will always stand open. Why? They will never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession. God said there is something that I'm bringing into your life. The envoys of my blessing, the envoys of my goodness, the envoys of my favor, I'm bringing it into your life but your gates have to be open to receive it. There's something waiting for you at your gates. So God says, open up your gates because there's something I've lined up. There is a, there is a blessing that I've lined up that's waiting for you at the gates. Rejoice always and keep your gates open. Tell your neighbors, say, keep your gates open. Keep it open. 
Keep it open. Keep it open. Don't, don't, don't just open it some of the times. Keep your gates open. In fact, God said, keep your gate open even in the night. Even in the night, even in the darkness. Because at night, they usually would shut the gates of the city for protection. At night, they would open up the gates at the day, but they would close it up during the, no during the night. But God says, even in the night, keep your gates open. In the darkness of uncertainty. You can't even see anything, and you don't know how things are going to get better, and you can't see how the situation is going to turn out, and you don't know where the provision is going to come from. God said, I, even in the night, I want you to keep your gates open because there is not enough time in, in, in the day to receive everything I'm bringing into your life. In this season, in this particular season, in this particular moment, there is such a wave of my blessing, such a wave of my goodness that you cannot afford to keep your gates closed. Because I got some night deliveries I'm going to bring into your life. I don't only have a daytime delivery. I don't have, only have a daytime blessing. God says I have a night blessing for your life. In your darkness. You've been waiting on the morning. But God said right where you are. Right in your situation. Right in your night. Keep your gates open. Rejoice even in your night. Because I have a nighttime blessing. A nighttime delivery. God said, keep your gate open. I have a blessing for the darkness you're in. See, sometimes you don't even realize it. But some of us have used bitterness as a way to protect ourselves. You, you, you've grown accustomed. You've grown comfortable being bitter. You use your bitterness as an excuse to close your gates because you're afraid of disappointment. And so it, it, it's an excuse you know how we get that, that sometimes being mad and being angry, it almost feels good. Sometimes you don't even want to be encouraged. Because you, you, you use that as a camouflage to, 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 to guard you, to, to protect you, and, and to, to keep disappointment out. You just use it as a wall. You use it as a shield. And you've allowed frustration to close your gates. In fact, you know, this was a tactic of the enemy because what the enemy would do, he would surround the city. And when, they, when the city would see the enemy surrounded, in, in their fear, they would shut the gates. But that just played into the enemy's tactics, plan, because what they would do is, because they, they knew once they closed the gates, though they couldn't get in, they couldn't get any provision in in the city. So they, they would just wait. They would wait for them to starve and wait for the provisions to run low and wait for fear to kill them. And that's what the enemy wants to do to your life. He conditions you to, with fear to close your gates. And, and you think you're safe, but the problem is you're starving too. You're running low of provision. You're, 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 that, that's, you, and some of you feel it. Your, your provision is running low. Your joy is running low. Your passion is running low. Your creativity is running low. Your faith is running low. Your peace is growing. Why? Because you shut your gates. And provision can't come in. But God says, I want you to open up your gates. The enemy you think is there is not there anymore. Open up your gates. He, he, he's just making a sound. He wants you to believe that, you're, that, that, that he's there, but he's not there anymore. God said, I want you to open up the gates because there's fresh provision waiting for you. There's a provision of creativity. There's a provision of peace. There's a provision of joy. There's a provision of my blessing in my favor. There's a fresh provision I want to bring into your life. And he would just, if you would just open up the gates, you would begin to experience the fresh thing that I want to do in your life. But you have to open up the gates. Tell you never rejoice and open up the gates. Yeah. God said, I dare you to stop trying to protect yourself. Allow me to protect. You don't even know what you should protect yourself from. Some, some of you, you're pushing away what you should be embracing and embracing what you should be pushing away. You don't even know. You, you need to allow God to protect you. He is, Abraham said, he is my shield. I, my disappointment, my fear, all my attack, that's not my shield. God is my shield. He's my rear guard. He, know, he knows what to guard me from. He knows what to shield me from. I need, I need to trust and have my gates open. Because, God, because if I don't have my gates open, 
I might be missing the shipment, the delivery that God wants to bring my way. Hallelujah. There's something waiting at the gates, and you need to open up your attitude. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need to encourage yourself. This is the day that the Lord has made. I shall. I shall rejoice. I decide to rejoice. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord is good in, faith, in his mercy. You need to encourage yourself. Speak to yourself. Tell your neighbor, say, open up the gate. Yeah, yeah, open up the gate. My soul, why are you so downcast within me? Open up the gates. Ruth 2, verses 1. I think we'll be going through approximately until 9. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go into the field and glean the heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And I love, I love this about Ruth. Ruth say, is saying, I need to get out there. I need to find a way to engage and participate in what's happening. I, I, need, I need to find a way to, I, I, know, I, know, I know I can't glean, I know, I know I can't harvest, I know I can't plow, I, do, I know I can't sow. How can I just get in, the, how can I participate in what's happening? Naomi said, I need, to, I need to get out there and put myself out there in the field. I need to get out there and somehow, in some way, even if I have to glean, I want to participate in what God is doing. I want to participate in how God is moving. I want to put myself out there in the fields. I'm not going to just wait. Because, see, some of us, unless we, unless we are harvesting this big thing and we, were, and we have these huge expectations, but unless we see this huge thing come all at once, we don't want to get involved. We don't want to participate. We just will sit there and wait on harvest. But, but Ruth said, I'm not going to sit here and wait. I'm, I'm going to get out there and start finding ways to participate in what's happening, even if I have to glean. She said, let me just go out and see, let me see if who's in whose sight I may find favor. She said, I'm not going to wait for favor. I'm not going to sit here and wait for favor to come to me. I'm going to go put myself out there and see if I can find favor. I'm going to go to favor. I, I don't know where I'm going to find it. I don't know where, I, but I'm just going to put myself out there and I'm going to get involved. I'm going to participate. I'm going to get there on the field and I'm going to participate in what's happening and see where, 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 how, how I can find favor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbors to get out there. Yeah, get your heart out there. Participate. 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 You're not called to spectate. You're called to participate. You're called to get involved. You're called to get out there. Even no matter if it's picking up trash, if it's, I don't care what it is, I want to participate. I want to be involved in what God is doing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As much as we talk about great things, sometimes great things don't, don't start with great. It starts with small. That's the secret of the kingdom. Jesus said, let me tell you the secret of the kingdom. It never starts big. It always starts small. He said, that's the secret of the kingdom. That's the, this is the way the kingdom operates. He was faithful to the small. Tell your neighbor, he said, it says, start small. David was prophesied. He, he, the, the, the God, Samuel prophesied. He said, the crown is coming to you. But the crown didn't start big. It started small. His father said, listen, I, I, I want you to go. I want you not go to the palace, not, not go fight battles. He said, I want you to go deliver some food to your brothers who's out there on the field fighting for Saul. I want, I want you to go and, and deliver some food for them. David didn't say, well. You, 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 you must not know. Maybe you forgot. You remember what Samuel said. I am anointed. I, he, I, God, he, he, said, I'm, he said, I'm going to be king. And the king does not do deliveries. So I'm going to sit here and wait for the crown. No. He said, I'm just going to go put myself out there. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go put myself out there and participate. Get on the field. And... <laughs> 
Tell your neighbors to get out there. Please let me go to the field and glean the heads of grain after, in, after him who's, in whose sight I may find favor. I don't even know, but I may find it. But I'm going go, to go put myself out there. I'm not going to just sit here and wait. I'm, I'm just going to go and see what I may find. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Oh, look what you found. That's what I found somebody. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning till now, though she has rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Ask your neighbor, are you going to listen? We talked about that last week. Do not go in do not go to glean from in another field nor go from here but stay close by my young women let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them have i not commanded young men not to touch you and when you are thirsty go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn Turn to your neighbor and tell them, eyes on the reaper. Eyes on the reapers. I, I know this was probably late in the message to give you the title, but that's my title. <laughs> eyes upon the reapers. Um, Ruth is gleaning. And last week we talked about, or the, uh, rather the week before last, we talked about gleaning. And the landowners were required by God to leave the corners of their, of the, of their field unharvested. And um, I saw something in the last service that I didn't see before, and it sort of blessed me. Is really God could have sort of arranged this provision for the poor any way he wanted. He could have just told uh, the, the landowners, listen, after you finish harvesting, give, it a certain, give this amount of portion and give it to the poor. But he said, he said no, I want you to leave, l- just leave the corners unharvested harvested leave it for them because when the poor come because poverty is a mentality and and, and I don't I don't I don't I just I, I want them I don't want them just having uh, to, uh, living out on handouts I want them to get a feel of what it is to harvest I want I want the, I want them to feel it I want them to be able to take the sickle and cut and cut off and cut off the heads of the grain I want the, I want I want them to feel and begin to know and to begin to understand what it feels like and, and what it looks like to harvest I want them to know that though you're gleaning today this won't be for the rest of your life that I have something better for you so I, I want I want I want you to get a feel I, I want you to harvest isn't it God wise? God is so wise. He said, "No, just le- leave some corners for them. Get, let them get their hands on it. Let them, let them, let, let them grab a sickle and let them be able to cut cut it off themselves and and, and, and get involved." And so, and so he, he said, "Leave the corners for them and and whatever the the the, the reapers." Are, have dropped during the process of harvesting whatever heads they drop they're not about to go back and pick it up leave it for the gleaners to pick it up and so uh, and we talked about how when, while the reapers stayed to a particular field the gleaners did not have that requirement they, 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 their attention was not upon the field their, their attention they were focused they weren't focused on the field they were focused upon the gleanings they, they followed the gleanings and Wherever the gleanings were, that's where they went. They just followed the gleanings. They followed the provision. And, and, and it was to the extent that Ruth was so focused upon the gleaning, so focused on the provision, she didn't even notice that she had crossed from one field into Boaz's field. She did, she did, the Bible says she, she, she happened 
to come into his field. She was just harvesting, and she was so focused, she didn't know that she, did, she shifted fields. And so she was, she was focused on the provision. She followed and pursued the provision. She didn't pursue the field. She pursued the provision. She pursued the gleanings. She didn't pursue the field. She pursued the supply. She pursued the provision. But now here Boaz is saying, here comes Boaz, and he says, I don't want your eyes to be focused on the gleanings. I don't want you to follow the gleanings. I want you to follow the reapers. I want you to fix your eyes on the reapers and the field in which they reap. Notice how Boaz is sort of realigning her vision and focus from gleanings to reapers. That her pursuit is shifting. Her focus is shifting. Her vision, before she followed the gleanings. Boaz said, no, don't follow the gleanings. Follow the reapers. Fix your eyes on the reapers. And while Boaz is realigning her focus, he's not just realigning her focus, but what Ruth does not realize, that Boaz is actually aligning her to her destiny. Aligning her to her purpose. Aligning her to her future. Because her future, her future is not with the gleanings. But rather her future is with the reapers in the field they're reaping from. Ruth, I'm not just showing you the reapers. I'm showing you your future. And I believe that's even why God is showing us Ruth. He's not just showing us Ruth. He's showing us our, our future. God is aligning us to our future. And your future is not with gleanings. Your future is with the harvest and the Lord of the harvest. Just nudge the person next to you and tell them, shift your focus. Whenever God shifts your focus, he's not just shifting your focus. He's aligning you to your future. God said to Abraham, look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you can. For if you're able to number them, he says, and he said to him, so shall future, so shall your descendants be. These are not just stars, Abraham. This is your future. I'm not just showing you stars. I'm aligning you to your future. I'm aligning your expectation. I'm aligning your desires. I'm aligning your faith, your direction, your way of thinking. I'm aligning you to your future. Tell your neighbor, he says, he's aligning you. He's aligning you. That's right. He's aligning you. He's aligning your vision and aligning your focus. So every time Abraham looked at the stars, and let me say this. I, I found it interesting that how, how God would use stars to show Abraham his future. That he would use stars to testify of the future because I don't know if you know any uh, information about stars, but star, the, the, when we go outside and we see the stars at night, most of those stars are thousands of light years away from the earth, which means the light that you are seeing is thousands of years old. The light that we see from the sun is nine minutes old. J just some trivia for you. So if the, if the sun turned off, then you wouldn't know it for nine minutes later because the light that you're seeing is nine minutes old. So the stars that you're seeing, some of them are thousands of years old. Some of them are hundreds of thousands of years, years old. So when, when you're seeing that light, that light is, is ancient. It's old. And so you're, when you see the stars, you're almost looking back into time. Because that light took thousands of years, sometimes hundreds of thousands of years, to reach the earth. So God says, look at the stars, because the stars are going to tell you your future. And it tells me that how sometimes God will use his past acts of faithfulness in our life to be a testimony and a prophecy for our promise of today. 
that, that, that God sometimes will, will, will begin to instruct our hearts to begin to count his faithfulness in our life. That, that all his acts of his past faithfulness, with, he, he, he did so not just for those moments, but he did so to testify to our promise now, our situation now, our circumstance now. Remember, remember when the disciples were talking about not having enough uh, loaves, the Bible, the, the Bible says that Jesus challenged them. He said, beware of the yeast of the, 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 the Pharisees. And, and, and they thought that they were talking, that he was rebuking them for not having enough bread. And Jesus says, why would I be, why would I be rebuking you for not having enough bread? Don't you remember the testimony of the loaves? He said, remember how everybody got fed and how, many, how much leftovers you had. He said, so, so he said if, if I provided there when we had nothing, why would I rebu rebuke you? In other words, you, that past issue is a testimony for the now need. It's a prophecy. And God's saying, he's saying, he's saying those stars, when I, when I begin to do things in your life, I don't just use them for the moment. But those things are stars in your life. And God says, I want you to count the stars. I want you to count my faithfulness. I want you to count my goodness of how, how faithful I was and how I provided over there and how I showed you my goodness. Not only that, even what God has done, not only in your life, but what he's done in the life of others thousands of years past. That's why we're looking at the book of Ruth. Ruth is a star that we can count in our lives. That's all this Bible is. It, it, it's not telling you, just telling you stories of what God did way back then. These are stars for us to count. It is showing you not only what God is going to do, what God did in their life, but what God is going to do in your life. And if he showed himself faithful then, then your God does not change. His faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting. He does not change. If he was faithful there, it's a testimony for over here. Abraham, count the stars. Tell your neighbor, say, count the stars. Count the stars. Count my goodness. Abraham, I don't want you to sit there and count your years. I want you to count the stars. I don't want you to count, uh, count your bank account. I want you to count the stars. My faithfulness is not in your account. It's in the stars. I want you to count the stars. So you will have the hope and the faith and the strength you need to wait upon God's promises and know that he is faithful. Is that good? So every time Abraham looked up at a star, he did not see a star. He saw his descendants. He saw his seed. He saw his promise. He saw his future. And, and because it's not just about what you see, it's about how you see it. God did not just change what Abraham saw. But he was changing how he saw it. Because if we look up, we see stars. But if you ask Abraham, Abraham, what, what do you see? He said, my descendants, my promise, my future, my blessing, God's faithfulness. This is the power of perspective. That perspective is not just about what you see. Perspective is about how you see it. And how you see something is actually more important than what you see. When Israel saw Goliath, they saw a, they, they, they saw a giant before them. But when David saw Goliath, he saw an uncircumcised Philistine. He said, he, when everybody was talking about Goliath, he said, look at this giant. Look, look at how big he is. Look how tall, tall he is. Look, how, look at how much his weapons weigh. Look at him. And, but when David, he, he came out of the song, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that she, he should defy the armies of the living God? They were both seeing the same thing. But how they saw is where the difference was. Because while, while Israel saw Goliath through the perspective of how, his height and his stature, David saw Goliath through the lens of the covenant. Because when he said uncircumcised, what he is really referring to is the covenant of God. And so he's, he, he's measuring Goliath. He is seeing Goliath, not through the lens of, of his stature, but through the lens of the covenant. He's saying, you are outside of covenant. Therefore, who are you to defy me who is in the covenant? 
See, see, this is not about, in other words, David was saying this is not about how big you are and how small I am. Sometimes we read Goli uh, about David and Goliath. That's a lot of the times what we see. That's a lot of times what we testify about. That, that, you know, because we all have these, you know, situations and issues that feel so much bigger than us. And so we relate a little bit to, to the story of David about coming against something that's bigger than you and, more, and stronger than you and, 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 and beyond your abilities. But, but that's really not what the story, this encounter is about. He's, David said, it's not about how big you are and how small I am. It's about how great my covenant is with my God. And you're not really coming against me. You're coming against my covenant. And if God be for me, who can be against me? For greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Tell your neighbors that I have a covenant. I have a covenant. Devil, I have a covenant. Hallelujah. And see, sometimes you just need to confess that covenant over your life. You need to go into your house and bring that covenant. You need to go into that situation and bring that covenant. You need to speak to your body and tell it, I have a covenant. You need to speak to your marriage and say, I have a covenant. You need to speak to your children and say, I have a covenant. I have a covenant. Somebody just cry out, God, shift my perspective. Come on. I got 20 of you, but there's about 1,000 of you in the room. God Say, God, shift my perspective. That will change your world. See, so, sometimes it's not about God changing your issue. It's about, but it's about God changing your perspective of the situation that you're in. And if he, if he shifts and changes your perspective, your situation will change. God didn't shrink Goliath. He just changed David's perspective of Goliath. And when your perspective changes, when, when God gives you a fresh perspective, everything in your life will change. Just because of the way you see it. That's, that was the difference between David and Israel. It was not that they were, not, they were facing a different obstacle. This, their perspective was different. And if your perspective is different, it changes how you engage your world, how you engage your family, how you engage your marriage, how you engage your business, how you engage the situation. It determines your engagement. You begin to run to whatever it is running away from, just by perspective. That's why God will show Jeremiah something. He showed Jeremiah something, and th but then he asked him, he said, what do you see? Because God says, just because you're seeing something does not mean that you're seeing what I want you to see. So he, so, so, so he shows them something, he says, but I have to make sure. What are you really seeing? Then he says to him, well, okay, you've seen correctly. Because, b b because it's one thing to see, then it's another thing to see correctly. It, it, it's funny because you don't really see, uh, see with your eyes, but rather you see with your mind. Do you know that? You, you, that that, that with, with this picture that you're seeing right here, is the eyes are sending information to the brain. Then your brain interprets that information and gives you a picture. So you're not seeing with your eyes, you're seeing with your mind. Okay? Um, and you're seeing an interpretation. That's how, you know, we, we, they talk about mirages, how you can be in a desert and, a, and it looks like you're seeing something, but that's not really what you're seeing. Your, 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 your mind, based on its own desires and experience and situation, is beginning to interpret that information in, in, in a certain way. Um, for instance, I, I remember, I don't know if you, you know these, this Heiger, the Heiger buses that are in the city? They're called Heiger, by the way. And, and because for the longest time, when I saw those buses, I didn't see Heiger, I saw higher. I swear, I, for years, for, not just, not, for years, I used to call them higher buses. Because it made sense. It made sense. And, and I remember I was in traffic one time, and one of the buses was just like, you know, it was in front of me for a long time. And I kept looking at it, and kept looking at it. And I said, oh, look, that, 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 that the, 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 the name is missing an H in this bus. 
And then I saw another one pass by, and I saw it said the same thing. And I said, was it always like this? I swear I thought for sure, 100%, it said higher buses. I saw an H in there. But the thing is, my mind was filling in blanks because my mind said, this doesn't make sense. I never saw a word called higher. No, it's not higher, it's higher. <laughs> so I'm not seeing with my eyes, I'm seeing with my, which is why the Bible says that the God of this age has blinded the minds. He doesn't blind your eyes, he blinds your mind because that's where you're really seeing. And so, and so, when he says he blinds the minds, he's not literally saying that he blinds you from not seeing anything. He blinds you from seeing what God wants you to see. That's what he did with Eve. They were seeing one another. It's not like they were seeing each other, that they saw themselves for the first time and said, oh my God, I never... They, that the issue was that once they put a certain information about the knowledge of good and evil came into their minds, that information changed how they saw. I hear what I'm saying to you. I'm almost out of time, so let me, let, me, let me jump to the conclusion here. This is just for you, because in the, in the earlier service, I didn't know where I was going to finish, but I, I, I found my landing spot for you guys. So I was thinking about this. You remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus meets them. You remember that story? Uh, and, and Jesus meets them, and he's walking along with them, and they're talking, and the Bible says they, they are walking with their face downcast attitude and so he comes up and he says what are you talking about that you are so sad like this that's a good question when Jesus asks a question and so he's not asking for information he's just trying to show you and so he says what are you talking about that your face is so downcast and they and they, they had this this whole discourse but the thing is what I noticed is that Jesus come with me Jesus they're walking with Jesus and they're talking about Jesus while Jesus is with them sad they're sad about Jesus and say don't you know what happened to Jesus but Jesus is with them they see but they don't see the gates are closed they can't receive they can't see their attitude is affecting their perspective and so they're, they're walking with them a long ways. And the Bible says at one point, they go into the house and they ask, will you eat with us? And Jesus says, okay. And so they, 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 ha they have the bread. And Jesus, at that moment, the Bible says he took the bread and he broke it. And the Bible says he gave thanks. And when he gave thanks, their eyes became open. And they saw him. When the attitude opened up, when the gates opened up, when their attitude shifted, their perspective changed. One of the most powerful, powerful things about the right attitude is that it will change how you see something. You'll begin to see God's goodness around you. You'll begin to see God's faithfulness around you. That's why you have to shift your attitude before, before you go to God so you can receive because their face was downcast. And their attitude shifted. God was giving them an attitude shift by giving, He was helping them lead them into thanksgiving, lead them into an attitude shift so their perspective could change and they could see God's faithfulness. Tell your neighbors that God is with you. God is with you. He has not left you. Lift up your heads because God is with you. Rejoice for God is with you. He's never leaving you nor forsaking you. He's right there. But you have to open up your gates. You have to, you have to, you have to encourage yourself before he can encourage you. You have to shift your attitude and, with, and begin to be thankful and begin to rejoice. Can we just all rise on our feet with an attitude of thanksgiving? In fact, for the next 60 seconds, the next 60 seconds, I'm not going to be the preacher. You're going to be the preacher. The preacher to your own soul, the preacher to your own issue. Can you just preach to your own soul and say, God, just begin to rejoice? Come on, just begin to rejoice. Begin to be thankful. Begin to tell yourself the Lord is good. Begin to tell yourself how faithful he is.
Begin to speak to your soul. Say, I will rejoice. I will be thankful. I will trust him. My soul, why are you so downcast within me? Come on, you preach to yourself. 60 seconds. Come on, open up your mouth. The, the, the enemy is not that bashful in talking to you. You need, to, you need to open up your mouth and testify. No, no, get quiet. I, 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 I'm, I'm being quiet on purpose. I want you for the next 60 seconds. Begin to testify. Tell your soul. Tell your soul. <laughs> Tell your soul. Greater, greater, greater. You feel that? So I, I feel, I feel sh I, something is shifting. Your gates are opening. I feel joy coming in. That joy is your gates opening. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, 30 more seconds. He is good and his mercy endures forever. You are faithful. I count the stars. I count the stars. I count your faithfulness in my life. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we praise you.